0: You're listening to Leveling Up, where we'll show you how to win at the game of life and business. It's time to power up your skills through life gamification with your host, Eric Sue. All right, everybody. Today we have Taylor Welch, co-founder of Traffic and Funnels which helps their clients build online digital marketing systems and helps high-level consultants, coaches, and experts develop lead generation machines to scale their businesses to seven figures a year. Not only that, he is the co-owner of Wealth Cap Holdings, which is a real estate company based in the Nashville area. I first met Taylor at an event in Florida. I saw his ads everywhere, so I'm like, got to talk to the guy because I see his ads everywhere. So Taylor, welcome to the show. How's it going, man? Man, it's going amazing, all things considered. Thanks for having me yeah. and uh, looking forward to this. Thanks for joining, man. So I, I gave a brief intro. That's kind of the official intro, but what's you know, how would you describe kind of who you are and, and and what you do and we'll kind of go from there?
1: Yeah, I started as a marketer. Uh, well, actually, if we go before that, I started uh, in the church. I was vocational minister, then got into marketing, got into the business world of marketing, built a business in marketing. Then needed something to do with the money that we were making from marketing, and learned that most people can figure out how to make money. Not many people can figure out how to keep it, invest it, multiply it, and use it wisely. So then we got back into real estate, and now we have we also have sales mentor, which is approaching. That's another business approaching seven figures a month right now, about half to three quarters of the way there. So we're just kind of in different a bunch of different lanes, and I just like the game. Like the puzzle pieces to me, putting those together, I like that more than the actual industries themselves. You know what I mean?
0: Yep, yep, totally respect that, and I and I love that. So, can you talk a little bit? Let's. I guess we'll start with traffic and funnels first because that was kind of the first your first money making machine. And then I, I'd be curious to kind of explore what kind of systems, processes, or you know, just templates overall that you've carried over into these other businesses. So, traffic and funnels. How does it work? How do you make money?
1: So we, now we just do consulting. So how we make money now is people come in, you know, think of uh, the, you know, the incubators in Silicon Valley where somebody comes in and, you know, a person with experience will invest money and they'll invest some time and you give them, you give them equity in exchange for that. We do the same thing with businesses who have clientele, but instead of taking equity, most of the times they just pay a fee. It's a lot cheaper in the long, long run for them to pay a fee instead of equity and, So we teach them how to build the marketing. We teach them how to optimize the service of whatever they're selling. And ultimately, we kind of do a little bit of reprogramming in terms of, you know, everybody wants to become a freelancer or a coach or a consultant and their goal is to make six figures a year or seven figures a year. But when they go through the process of upgrading the way they think about business and they learn capital allocation and they learn leadership and leverage and structural design, they Realize that they could do eight figures or nine figures, and we really expand people's thinking in the process. While we solve a very real issue, which is I need money now, I need clients now, and a person who has a great skill set, a great expertise, but doesn't know how to market is irrelevant. And so we kind of fill that gap for traffic and funnels. Does that make
0: sense? Yeah, makes total sense. So what I'm hearing is not only are you showing people the know how, but I, I think that more importantly, it's it's a mindset thing that you're trying to get them to rejigger.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Because you're not gonna give up because your ads don't work. You know, nobody's gonna look back on their entire on the history of their life and be like, man, I never made it because I couldn't figure out the pixel in 2019, 2020. That's not where the hiccups really happen. Those are the people who get out of the game love to blame the technology or love to blame a lack of tactical skill, but it's actually a symptom of not really having the right programming up here. And so we didn't try to get into this for mindset. You know, like when we got into traffic and funnels, I hated the people who are like, everything's mindset. And I'm like, you know, you you sound like you don't you've never been poor. If you're telling me that everything's mindset, you must have never struggled before. But in hindsight, through experience, I realized that man people stay stuck not because they don't have the tools necessary, but because they don't have the requisite responsibility or the requisite reasons or the requisite thinking capacity to get to the next level. So a lot of what we do is cognitive reprogramming, but when you mix that with the ability to advertise, it is fire. The ability to sell, it's fire. And that's where people blow up. They come in, do eight figures in like a a year and a half, and it's not because of one thing or the other. It's the recipe, the ingredients all going in together. Mindset's a big part of that.
0: I love that. Um, And I want to come back to that in a second, because you talked about the, the root of the problem. You know, not not you know too too many people solving the the symptoms. But so, what kind of numbers can you share around the business today? And I guess even before that, if people are interested in traffic and funnels, are you open to talking about how much you generally charge with that?
1: Yeah, like for people coming into the front end deal, we have books and trainings that are very affordable. We created something a few years ago that was just called the Memos. We've changed the name; it's now Insiders Access and. really the goal there was there's so many conflicting competing types of people that sometimes it's like, I want to try before I buy. Sometimes I want to actually test drive something first. And so we created, we started creating front end products, not because we needed tripwires. We we're very profitable without them, but because I felt like there was a portion of the market that needed to date us a little bit first, you know? So it starts at seven bucks, eight bucks. People can get stuff from us they go to our website, trafficandfunnels.com. And then as you graduate up through you know, the different levels, if necessary or if needed, then you can get into five figures and people spend six figures with us. It just kind of depends on the configuration of what a person needs. In terms of numbers though, as an organization, Traffic and Funnels uh, you will know, we'll do 80 to 100,000 customers this year. Probably 1,500 to 2,500 of those are going to be quite expensive clients. So call it 10 to 30 K. And then maybe a hundred to 300 are going to be even more expensive with more access. So the business itself, the the business of traffic funnels will probably do 16 to 20. And it's too early to tell just because we're at, at recording this, we're in June and we have six months left. And typically we ramp up the last half of the year. So
0: call it 18 million per TF is what the business is pulling down right now. Got it. And you know, what's interesting is um, there's a couple people in this space. I mean, we, we actually have a program that's geared specifically at agencies, more towards people that are doing more than six figures. So I, I've, looked at, I've looked at you guys, I've looked at the other people in this space, and usually they, don't, they won't do the $7, the, the $50 offers. And, and somehow you guys have, have made it work. So what can you speak to when, when other people in this space that are doing kind of similar numbers to you, they're saying, hey, like, don't waste time on these $7, $50 offers. What's your response to that?
1: Yeah, I think, I think there's wisdom to that too. Like, you know, when we started, we didn't have anything lower ticket and you got to be able to afford to figure it out. Like when we first sold something for a lower price, we had a bigger list that we could launch it to. But when we went to ads, we lost money. And to this day on certain product lines, we'll lose money to this day. It's called a loss leader. You probably studied this in your pursuit of marketing. If you can't afford the loss leader, then obviously you shouldn't do it. Right, so there's some practical stuff in there, but I think also for bigger companies, it just comes down to their goal. And for us, there's some things that we do for money, and there's some things that we don't do for money. I'll tell you this, man. I just finished writing a brand new book about 220 pages. We should launch it by August. Where I promise you one thing: I did not do that for money because it was hard as hell, and I will not make enough money from it to justify the time. If you look at my time into WealthCap or Sales Mentor, you know, combine everything together there are some activities in WealthCap that are like twenty eight, twenty dollars $30,000 an hour activities for me. Writing a book is not one of those things. So I think it comes down to really being clear on your purpose and knowing that if you're doing something that you are passionate about, that you feel you are designed and designated to do, it doesn't always have to just be a money thing. And for us, we got to that place where we we're like, we just want to help. It sounds cheesy, man, but we just want to help people who may not be able to afford a one-year consulting package. We still want to help that person. How are we going to do that, you know?
0: Yep, that makes a little sense. And actually, that, that reminds me, I mean, you look at, you think about the, the Warren Buffets of the world. They just spend all day reading. Uh, that's what their, their day looks like. And then there's other people, you know, when I think of it, a lot of the stuff you're doing right now is you are investing. You're invest. you're figuring out how to use either financial capital or, you know, you're figuring out how to use your, your team's capital, right? So the human resources there, how do you split your time? How does your day look with the different things that you have going on? Are you operating in the business or are you, you know, are you just strategically thinking about things?
1: Yeah. For the last six months, me and Chris have been mostly coaching our team and building leverage inside of our team. There's not a lot, I mean, maybe an hour a week I could say maybe average of an hour a week can has been invested into actually like tinkering, you know, the majority of the time has been higher level than that. So, you know, in traffic and funnels, we have four executives that run our executive team. They make decisions. I always tell leaders when people, even clients are trying to become leaders and they're like, I want to scale. There's two things you have to figure out how to outsource with the team. The first layer is outsourcing work, outsourcing, stuff to do. You know, you can hire somebody to do something for you. But to really get freedom and to really scale, you have to get to the second layer which is outsourcing decisions. Right? Out, letting somebody else make decisions for you. And you have to have the ability as a leader to be like, you know, I'm I'm going to trust this person enough to make the wrong decision right now because I've made wrong decisions and I've learned from that. So my investment into my leader sometimes is allowing them to make the wrong choice. And most of my time these days is spent helping them navigate. So having conversations, and I still do work with clients too. We have an event coming up that's, uh, you know, all of our elite clients are coming, you know, online and doing a virtual event. So I'll do coaching and things like that. It's pretty well organized in terms of spending time with my leaders. Is first and foremost strategic and vision and things like that is is also operating a good portion of the time. And WealthCap, the team is brand new, so I'm spending a lot of time with wealth gap and and building those leaders. And it's, it's like a full-time job to get somebody who's always, who's always been paid to do work, but now they are paid to think, dude, that's a massive shift. You got to take people through. And it's, you know, I found that the average time is like somebody needs a good six months of programming before they're going to start taking off.
0: I love that. So I I guess I have a couple questions to, to that. So when you're coaching your leadership team, how does that typically look? How do you think about that?
1: asking questions, figuring out what is their programming prior, asking people why they do certain things. Because if I know anything about our world today and our culture today, everyone is acting, but none of them are really thinking about why they're doing what they're doing. So I'll give you an example. If somebody is 35 years old and they don't like their life, they don't like their finances, they don't like what they're doing, Chances are good that if you ask them questions about the last five years and be like, strategically, why did you make this choice? Why did you make this choice? Why did you make that? They don't know. They have no idea. Because intent and decision have not been linked up for them. And when people come in and they start working with us, the main thing is just finding out, like, you have a goal. You did nothing to move yourself towards that goal. Why? And then they're like, I don't know. my gosh. I don't know. Like, I just did this. I got distracted with this, distracted with that. And as that becomes linked up neurologically, then they begin to actually challenge their own decisions in the future. That's where you want to get a leader to because they can do their own self-analysis. They'll challenge themselves leading to the point eventually that I don't have to challenge them anymore. They have the goal. They chase the goal. And if they miss, if they miss it, then they can do their own review, their own analysis, their own post postmortem, and they can figure it out. I'm not sure if I answered the question directly or indirectly, but
0: no, you you did. And I I guess a a follow up to that would be when you, it's that what I'm hearing is you're basically using a Socratic line of questioning and you're getting them to answer the question. You're not exactly telling them, right? You're just saying, Hey, like, you know, why did you make the decisions, these most important decisions in your life up to now? And then you're getting them to basically uncover it on on their.
1: Yeah. And, and making them not, there's the whole five whys, which I'm sure you've heard. And I've forgot who. I think maybe I heard this from Dean the first time, but yeah, why did you do this? And they give you an answer, and then it's like, but why? And then they give you another answer, and it's amazing to me how many answers in our lives and how many things we say in our lives are just the surface. They're just the the outside symptom, but we have to really work to get to the root. We have to. You know, everybody's obsessed with the effect right now in the USA, in the world, in politics. Everybody wants to go after the effects. It's not going to work. Because if you deal with the effect, but you don't feel the chronic, you don't actually deal with the chronic disease, the cause that happens generation after generation, we're screwed. And so it is Socratic, but it's also being willing to challenge a person's first answer and second answer and third answer and getting their standards in line that goes with it. it.
0: That makes total sense. And there's a follow up to this, I guess, in the tech world. I, I forgot who did I get this from. Oh, I got this from uh, this investor named Keith Raboy, but he has this delegation framework. So, you know, you, you mentioned something about letting people make mistakes. Now, sometimes you might have something that's super high risk, and it's it's too risky to let them make make these mistakes. And other most of the time, it's not as risky. So you can let them make mistakes. I just, I guess my question to you would be, do you have any type of framework where you decide to let these people just make mistakes, blow things up and go from there?
1: Yeah. Well, I'll let someone make a mistake, but I won't. I'm going to step in if it's going to kill people. You know, I'm going to step in if we're going to have to lay people off if it doesn't work out. And I also think there's something to be said here for risk versus speed. So if something is inherently high risk, then the speed probably needs to be slowed down a little bit because speed always creates errors and speed will create mistakes. You know, I come from the church world. So the beauty of that is growing up, you know, my first job was in the church. I, you know, Churches that grow fast are just chronically understaffed. They never have enough people. And an organization that grows too fast is the same way. They're the same. A mega church is an organization, a fast tech growing company in Silicon Valley, they're, you've seen it, always understaffed, always trying to train new leaders, have depth in the on the team. And sometimes what, what happens is people want low risk and they want speed. And those two things are very rarely on the same side. So if something like wealth got we could lose a million dollars tomorrow if, if somebody makes the wrong decision. We will slow down that organization so that we can make sure that there's checks and balances and things are, you know, people are making the right decisions. We won't scale until the leadership team is properly trained, things like that. So I don't necessarily have a, a framework for it as much as it's more of like for us, it's just let more common sense on like if something's inherently dangerous, then let's be patient and do some, some more diligence on the training before we try to scale.
0: Got it. Okay. And earlier you talked about, I don't know if it's before we started, but talking about $10,000 an hour tasks, $1,000 an hour tasks, $100 an hour tasks. So I guess I'm wondering for you, what are, you mentioned coaching people, what are the other $10,000 an hour tasks that you work on just so people have context?
1: Like if I'm in a business meeting with a business that we're about to buy, putting together a plan where I think we can justify the purchase of that business, you know, in the first 30 days, working with Chris on different team leaders. We might have a 30 minute conversation about a team leader and, and really going at it from different angles on what do we need to teach this person? What are their biggest strengths and weaknesses? So a lot of the, you know, the forget $10,000 an hour activities. is like, I don't want to be, let's talk $100,000 activities, like $100,000 an hour activities are, are usually going to come down to people and vision. Those two things, because if your vision is clear, then you should realize that you can, you can go out and find the right people to make that vision a reality. People get lost in colors and click funnels and even writing copy is like, there's a time when you have to outgrow that, even though you love it. There's a time when you have to outgrow that so that you can build the infrastructure where you can have 100 copywriters on your team that will be able to outrank you on every single page that they write. There's a saying from uh, the, forget his name, the Rockefeller habit scaling up, uh, harnish yes he said the strength of the leader becomes the weakness of the team and that has been so profound for me over the last 2 3 years because all of the things that i'm greatest at if i'm not careful i'll end up really coming in and like overlording people and they won't be able to grow and flourish and so leadership is is the hardest part man marketing is easy sales is easy like all these things are so freaking easy. I could build product, you know, market, product market match like in my sleep. We could just literally go to sleep and we could come up with advertising ideas. It's the easiest part once you learn it. What's really, really hard is having an idea, sharing it with your team member, letting them run with it and then being okay with that idea being their idea. And if they choose not to use the idea, you let them choose not to use the idea. It's these, this relinquishing of control in the micro that allows you to take more control in the macro. It's kind of weird. Yeah.
0: No, it, it makes total sense. We were talking about it before we started recording how the best marketers are really no longer marketers. They've, they've gone beyond that. And they've, their, their thing is ego is gone. Let my team shine. Give my team all the access that they need to do well. And you don't need to yes. be the superstar anymore. Yes, so I do want to come back, because uh, a lot of people listen to this for for marketing. So just to talk about really quick before we jump back into the, what we're talking about, what's actually working for you guys in terms of growth on the traffic and funnel side right now?
1: Dude, honestly, the same things. The market hasn't changed that much. And people are like, can't believe it. But in 2018, people wanted what was new. In 2020, people want what is new. In 2025, people are probably going to want what is new. It's this age-old idea of people always chase what what was previously unavailable, but is now brand new available. And so I was talking to our marketing director. This was like six months ago. This is actually, this may have been end of 2019. And I told him, I was like, a, a new product that is inferior is more valuable to the market than an old product that is superior. Think about that, dude. We, as marketers, we have to actually come into a little bit of alignment and agreement with where the market's already going you don't necessarily have the ability to just create a new conversation. You have to isolate where the conversation already is and just get up in that. And that's human nature, man. We want what's new. We want, it's, it's evolutionary psychology. And so for us, you know, we'll take programs that, you know, are vastly superior to anything else that anybody has in the market. And the only reason I say that is because we are practitioners who don't just teach, but we actually do. And I have people that have bought the other programs And we'll take them and we'll pull them off the market and we'll reconfigure them and we'll relaunch them to the market as something new. And there's something to be said for this. You know, bundles, being able to bundle things together. I'm not a huge fan of, you know, discounting for the sake of discounting, but man, hopping onto the bandwagon of holidays and events and important public dates. All of these things create this idea of newness to the market. All eyes are on you when you are doing something new. And you have to remember that, if you want to be obscure, then just keep doing the same old thing over and over and over publicly. And this is why it's really hard because success is one in the secret things that are boring and you do it over and over and over and over again. But publicly, marketing is about presenting a new thing, a new angle, something brand new. And Teams getting a lot of success with that. We can go deeper on that if you want, but that's just off the top of my head.
0: Yeah, I guess. So what I'm hearing then is it's you guys are constantly creating or reframing these offers that you have. But not only that, you guys are doing it from an ad perspective too. You're constantly creating new ads. You're constantly yeah. just reshifting people, right? So,
1: Yeah, all the time, dude. Like The ads that worked in 2018 still work in 2020, as long as they haven't been running nonstop since 2018. So you can pull stuff off, bring it back to the market. It's new. And the same thing with, with our, even internally in our groups and our events, just... I think there's there's not enough invention, and if somebody can get a grip on really their calendar and make sure that you know that you're not running an ad for too long, back in the old sales letter days, man, you just ran an ad until it died. Just run it into the ground a hundred million copies you know printed and distributed, but today things die, things don't last as long; they're going to die out a lot faster, and if you're smart, you will get ahead of that. And go ahead and preemptively pull something because you know, it's going to die.
0: Dude, you know, what's crazy. Um, I had this, There was this Benjamin Franklin picture with my face uh, tacked onto it. Right. And then this craziness happened and ad doesn't work anymore. Obviously, right. You can't, you can't have that. So okay. just to your point, these ads all yeah. of a sudden, you know, it could be working one week and then, you know, the next day it, it's, it's over. So I guess my question for you would be, I remember we had Russell Brunson on, on, on this podcast and he was just talking about, he creates six different funnels and he just rotates them. Kind of similar to you guys, you guys are rotating ads, so you might bring something back from 2018. I guess, what is the process for you guys to come up with new creative or new offers? Like how often, what what does that all look like? So if we're talking about advertising, dude,
1: it's, we're just creating dozens of ads a week and there are various members on our team. I don't know that we have a set like, five or six things that we just rotate through i do think that there's a thread but dude if we're being honest i have a team and i don't know the answer to that <laughs> i don't know a good answer uh, yeah like sometimes it's actually really weird because i'll be in an event somebody asked me a question and i knew what the answer was in 2019 but i don't know what the answer is now and yeah, that's the importance of being if you get consulting from someone get access to their team you know you're probably not going to get the best if the consulting is just with that person in terms of creating new offers, man, we want, so have, you've heard of the flywheel, right? Yep. So part of the TF flywheel, and it's different for a salesman, but the TF flywheel is we have the front end, which is seven or 10 or 150 or $400. And the service has to be good on that front end. Because if the service is not good and impeccable and above board and more than what they asked for, then you will not be able to upgrade that person into the next level, which is the consulting, which is either 10 weeks, six months, or 12 months. And then the service there has to be impeccable. If you're seeing the thread here, it's the service, it's the fulfillment. It's gotta be above average, better than anyone has ever experienced before. And if the service is good there, then they'll they'll go from a 10-week program to a six-month program. And then the key here is the service has to be really good. There it is again. It's gotta be impeccable. People can't be dropping the ball. And what the, the back end program includes is events. We put events on our back end. I know a lot of people do events on the front. That's great. But we put our events on the back end. And every event, which is once a quarter, we will have different people come in and speak. I will be there and I will speak. Chris will be there, Chris will speak. And at least two or three of the presentations will be traffic and funnels. We own the presentation, it's presented by someone on our team. And then remember the top of the flywheel was products, front end products. Where do those front end products come from? The events. So every quarter we're getting two to three new products and we can test those to the market and the flywheel just keeps spinning because we have this, you know, we have to do the events anyway. It's part, of, it's part of the deliverables. We're not going to get out of that. And so what are the things you can do and what, what can you take in your business that you're already doing? You already have to do it. You can't not do it. And how do you extract? And the flywheel, man, this actually came from, uh, I think Henry Ford, where they're building cars and they have just this waste of wood. Cars used to be made out of wood back in the day. Now they're made of who knows what. They're flying cars or who knows what they're going to be made of. But back in the day, they were wood. And he took these piles of wood and he turned it into what? Charcoal. And then they started selling charcoal. And this is how entrepreneurs do it, is they systematically go through the levels of their business they verticalize it and they create new businesses out of. And so for WealthCap, we, I'm just rambling and ranting right now because you, no, you, you got me on it. For WealthCap, we, we will build plumbing companies. We will buy property management companies in Kansas City, Missouri, and Charlotte, North Carolina, and Birmingham. Because at the end of the day, you can have a business up here. And this is, you bring up Russell. I talk about the King Kong of being able to grab a vertical and own it. He's like, I need a software, let's build a software. And that business now serves, he built it for himself, he just needed it. That's what I'm talking about with the same thing is a lot of times you have either the byproduct of one business or you need to pay someone else and you can just build that business yourself. And you can build this big flywheel where all of your businesses serve one of the other businesses. And uh, part of this we learned from Jay Abraham, we did personal consulting with him. And this is one of the things he taught us. Don't just build businesses for money. Sometimes the highest profit business that you can build is one that doesn't make any money, but it decreases the expenses of another business. I was like, holy cow. That's why we built Salesman Thor. We were paying headhunters to go find salespeople for us. Guess what? They all sucked. Headhunters don't know what they're doing. They try good. They have great hearts, but dude, they suck. And so we were getting all these salespeople. We were paying 10 grand per salesperson. We were still having to service around. We're like, let's start a sales mentor because we can just train our own salespeople from the market and then we can hire them from TF. And that has begun to flourish. We don't have to pay a headhunter anymore. We get great new talent. We're always staffed up on the sales side. And now we're starting to staff other businesses with salespeople that we have trained. That's how the game works.
0: That's awesome. So just for real quick, because I know, I know we didn't talk about sales mentor much and for some reason, another meeting got booked into this. So we're going to have to go fast. A sales mentor, what does it do exactly? How does it help people?
1: Sales mentor goes after people who are stuck in jobs that they don't like and they would rather make money from home or they would rather make a lot more money with a lot less work. We teach them sales. You know, one of the best ways to make a great income is you do phone sales for another business like ours, like real estate, like whatever. We train them. We have 2,000 people a month that come in. They don't know anything about sales. They're starting from the ground up and we train them how to do it. Then we hire the people that we like. And best they sell yeah. to you. Yep. And then what's inevitably happened is when you have 2000 people a month and there's like, you know, 200, 250 of those are like, Hey, I want to be staffed somewhere. We can't hire 200 people a month. So now we started turning around to other businesses and saying, look, we have these salespeople. We trained them. We have the best, we have the best sales numbers in the world. Guaranteed pit me against any person in marketing, any of them. Our team will beat them. It's just, it's the reason I know this is because, except for two or three, I've seen all of their numbers because they've ended up coming to us to help them. And we don't need all the salespeople. So it's really a way for us to monetize an extra byproduct of Sales Mentor that we can't deal with, and we staff them with other people.
0: I love that. How much do you guys charge for the recruiting fee, I guess? 5K. That's
1: 5K. Dude, that's and, uh, When, when people pay that 5k for the VIP placement, we get them three to four candidates that are in the industry that the the business is needing. All right. So we're not going to put someone who works at a, you know, a a paper mill and learning sales in, in advertising for the first time. We're going to take people who have some alignment with the industry. We provide three or four, we help you interview them and then we'll backfill them if they don't work for the first 30 days. It's inevitable. It's, it's the best offer in the staffing
0: world, in my opinion. That, that's a no-brainer. Wow. Well, thanks for describing that. I might hit you up on that afterwards. But um, um rapid fire questions here. I, I think we need to do a second one for sure. Um so cool. God, there's so much more I want to cover. But one thing I wanted to ask you, the way you think about the world right now, I guess what are the top books that have ultimately helped you shape your worldview and help have helped you as a as a thinker?
1: Principles by Ray Dalio. That's the number one. I think I don't know what's always right and wrong, but if you can train people how to look past the optics, and man, that is, that is more necessary than ever. You got a guy like Ray Dalio who has made a living being able to read past the optics, past what the market indicators are right now into what they'll be next week. Principles Bar None, I think is probably the most influential book that I've read in terms of tuning my thinking to not just see what's on the surface.
0: Awesome. And what is one favorite tool you're using to grow your business right now? Can't be any of your tools, if you have any. Probably Asana. Easy enough?
1: Yeah. Cool.
0: And final question from my end would be, what's one CEO or entrepreneur you're following right now? Elon, but he just hopped off of Twitter. So
1: yeah. I'm he? waiting for him to come back. Yeah, he said he's taking a break. Uh, good for him. You know, Twitter is a nasty world, man. There's some of yeah. the weirdest people. On that platform. It's
0: it's tough, man. It's tough. Cool. So Taylor, what's the best way for people to find you online? Instagram. I mean, Taylor A.
1: Welch is the user I post all the time. Facebook, Taylor A. Welch. We also just released a new podcast and we talk about thinking, the value of thinking. I was like, dude, I need a way to help people in three, four, five minutes a day with their thinking. So it's Daily Mind Medicine. You can look it up on Spotify or iTunes. You can go to dailymindmedicine.com and people are raving about it because it's so short and it's like anybody can listen to four minutes a day you start your day with it you're going to think better the people who think the greatest are the people who are going to profit the most from instability and stability both so hop onto there follow me on instagram follow me on facebook and uh, i read all the messages so send me send me a note too
0: all right taylor thanks so much for doing this
1: you're the man thank you